Good afternoon, and um, welcome to the Geisel Library, the Mandeville Special Collections Library, the Archive of New Poetry in particular, and uh, to the Seuss Room. My name is Rob Melton. I'm the curator of the Archive for New Poetry. Uh, this would have been James Schuyler's 87th birthday today, so we thought it was an excellent time to celebrate uh, him, his archive, and in particular the publication of Other Flowers, Uncollected Poems. Um, we have the two editors of that book here to read from his work as well as their own tonight. Uh, just a few announcements. Uh, there will be birthday cake and other refreshments available after the reading uh, out here in this area right outside uh, the Seuss Room. Um, we also have books available uh, for uh, you to purchase, um, copies of Other Flowers and some copies of Schuyler's um, Art Criticism and some books um, by Simon Pettit, one of the two poets who is reading tonight. Uh, I want to mention also that, as almost everybody in this room should know now, also there's some extra chairs on little carts back at the back. If anyone comes in late, if you could help them see where those chairs are. Um, <clears throat> as everyone knows, this is the 50th anniversary also of UCSD, and one of the exhibits in the library that if you haven't had a chance to look at yet, I would recommend is um, uh, an exhibit devoted to UCSD's history. Uh, I'd like to just acknowledge that my colleagues in the Department of Special Collections and University Archives have done um, a lot of the work on helping to celebrate UCSD's history. And then also in the flat cases out closer to the lobby, um, I've mounted a small exhibit uh, derived primarily from the Schuyler uh, Archive, and I hope that you'll have a chance to look at that before you leave this evening. Just a little bit about the archive. Um, Negotiations began uh, with James Schuyler before his death in 1989 for his papers to come here to the University of California, San Diego's Archive for New Poetry. And uh, the first uh, large portion of it was processed in 1992, which was a year after his death. And then the following year, 1993, um, uh, an equally large portion was processed of material that he did not want to be made available during his lifetime. Totally, the archive consists of 30 archival size boxes and quite a number of um, oversized boxes and separate pieces. More about that later. It includes all or mostly all incoming correspondence to Schuyler, the manuscripts and typescripts of all his works, poetry, novels, art criticism, and other prose, business and personal papers, and personal effects. Um, I was particularly fortunate as, well, the archive is particularly fortunate too, to have not just Schuyler's own uh, papers here, but in putting the exhibit together, or even for a researcher coming to do research on Schuyler, to have uh, other um, collections that complement it quite well. Uh, sometimes students ask, well, what does special collections mean? What is a special collection? And one answer to that is the ability to uh, collect intensively in an area so that you have um, many kind of unique um, uh, lines of uh, communication, so to speak, between your different collections. And that's certainly the case here, because not just do we have the Schuyler papers, but we also have the archive of his very co close friends, the poet and publisher Kenward Elmsley, 
the artist and poet Joe Brainerd. And uh, we have the archive of poet and editor Donald Allen, including all of the manuscripts for the famous 1960 anthology, The New American Poetry, uh, which included Schuyler. Letters from Schuyler to several other poets whose papers we have. And the original letters of Schuyler to the artist John Button, which were donated to us after Button's death, so that on that score we have um, two sides of the, collect- of the correspondence. And uh, also collections by several other poets, somewhat younger than Schuyler, who were very influenced by him, to name but just a few, uh, Bernadette Meyer, Alice Notley, and Armin Schwerner. Schuyler's papers had more than their share of narrow escapes before they arrived in La Jolla in the early 90s. In April 1977, a fire broke out in his rooming house room, caused, unfortunately, by his own smoking in bed. Uh, Schuyler was rushed to a hospital in New York City, um, and his badly smoke and water-damaged possessions were put into storage and later saved through the efforts of several of his close friends. Then, four years later, Schuyler realized that one of his assistants was stealing letters and manuscripts to help support a drug habit. Um, Most, but probably not all, of those materials were fortunately later recovered. But just to give you a sense of the fact that archives themselves are fragile things, and for those of you who are writers uh, in the room, just a little bit of a a warning. Um, I brought three things uh, with me to uh, show um, this afternoon. Um, First, actually over on the table, um, well, let me mention there's a guest book that we'd like for each of you to sign as you leave before you head out for refreshments. Um, But right behind it is a book of reproductions of paintings by one of Schuyler's uh, closest friends, uh, the painter Fairfield Porter. And the book has at least three of his uh, portraits of Schuyler in it. Uh, The one that the book is open to right now is uh, the earliest, but also the one that was Schuyler's uh, personal favorite for the rest of his life. Uh, It was painted on Porter's painting porch at his home out on uh, Long Island. Um, Second, and I mentioned earlier personal effects, uh, this typewriter. This was James Schuyler's own personal portable typewriter. Uh, Many of you in this room may not have actually seen a typewriter or not for a long time. So I thought it might uh, serve as a little bit of a technological um, time warp trip for us, but also perhaps as a kind of a muse uh, for today's speakers and writers to have Schuyler's own writing instrument right here with us. And third, because I was thinking about what kind of flowers might be appropriate for the celebration of a book called Other Flowers, I decided to dig through the archive um, looking for flower references And, of course, I found many, but um, settled on one item, which is actually an assemblage, a piece of art, an artist's book, if you will, by the aforementioned friend, painter Joe Brainerd, given to Schuyler as a Christmas present uh, for Christmas 1968. And as you will see, um, uh, we call it the Pansy Book. Uh, All of the pictures uh, pasted in are pictures of pansies from uh, various types of 
paste-ins, old Victorian uh, cards, if you will, and including this sort of fold-out, which also is kind of nice because, it, to me, it has an odd echo of the shape of Geisel Library. <laughs> so um, just a few things to uh, try to bring Skyler's uh, spirit to us uh, this afternoon. I would now like to introduce uh, Michael Davidson, Professor of American Literature, Poetics, and Disability Studies here at UCSD, a wonderful poet himself and an always insightful critic of and friend to other poets, and a former curator of the Archive for New Poetry. Michael? Well, I, I want to thank uh, Rob for setting up this wonderful display out here, first of all. It really does give a flavor of how important it is to have associational values with collections, not only Schuyler's collection, but the fact that you can bring letters together from John Ashbery or Joe Brainerd or Kenneth Koch uh, to bear on Schuyler's own uh, work. It's a great pleasure to welcome um, Simon Pettit and uh, James Meats here to UCSD. They've produced this marvelous book. Um, you know, Schuyler was the lesser known of the New York School writers compared to O'Hara and Ashbery for a while, and then he won the Pulitzer Prize and really took off. But he didn't give poetry readings until quite late. In fact, I think his first poetry reading was when? Do you know? Eight, in the mid-'80s, something like that. So he wasn't known as publicly, for example, as, as someone like uh, Ashbery uh, was. Uh, but there's a great deal of his work, so it was a real surprise to find uh, that uh, James and Simon were able to find so many more really amazing poems in uh, another collection, so we're very grateful to them for, for their labor in this. Um, I, they'll probably be talking about James Schuyler, so I, I don't need to introduce um, him, except to say that if you haven't read James Schuyler, you're in for a real treat. He's, he's one of my favorite poets. He's one of the greats, and uh, there's something for everyone in his work. Um, he's a nature poet, but he's a great urban observer poet, a sort of flanner of New York City, but also a flanner of the flora and fauna of Upper New York State and Long Island. And uh, I wanted to say that he's uh, a poet who writes about nature, but it's not about that. It's about the act of looking and the act of layering one thing upon another so quickly that you're not quite sure what it is you're looking at. He moves very quickly, line by line. And these new, just reading through these new poems, I'm, I'm reminded again of what a spectacular observer of uh, the world he is. Without the usual rhetoric of observation, I am standing here looking at this. I feel this way about that flower. He just shows you the flower. Uh, Simon Pettit was, uh, as you'll find out, born in England, but has been living in New York for some time. Hearth, his collected poems, appeared recently from Talisman Press, and Talisman has uh, also brought out his selected poems in 1995 and more winnowed fragments in 2006. Uh, he was also the person who compiled uh, James Schuyler's art writings with Black Sparrow Press back in 1998. He has collaborated with the photographer and filmmaker Rudy Burkhart in Conversations About Everything, published by Vehicle in 1987 and Talking Pictures, published by Zoland in 1994, as well as a, a limited edition book, Abundant Treasures, that Granary Book published of his own poetry in collaboration with the painter Duncan Hanna. 
James Meets is uh, known to many of you here, I suspect, uh, through his work as, a, uh, as an instructor in the creative writing program here. He's taught uh, workshops for us. He's a great, uh, very successful, wonderful teacher. He was a uh, recipient of the Poet Laureate Award. I, I read this piece of information, and I, I didn't realize that we had the Poet Laureate in our midst. It's a more modest Poet Laureate Award, but a significant one. This was at the uh, University of California at Santa Cruz. His book, Dayglow, was selected by Terence Hayes as winner of the 2010 Sawtooth Poetry Prize from Ashanta Press, and he is the author of a marvelous book, uh, I Have Designed This for You, published in 2007. Um, he uh, is also the publisher of Tougher Disguises Press, which is a very significant press for, of younger writers. So I said before, we're very grateful to both of these poets and editors for bringing James Schuyler's work to us, and we're very happy to have them uh, here today. So please join with me welcoming Simon Pettit and James. So uh, we're going to read separately, um, but we thought we'd start with this uh, poem from Other Flowers, which is written in conversation. Um, there are two voices in it. Um, it's called Small Talk. <clears throat> I hear there's a drought. I can live without that. Did you see Blow Up? I found it quite old hat. What do you think of the new morality? I think undergrads should concentrate on their grades. You may be right. I could be wrong. What a sweet thing to say. Compliments are never out of date, if they're sincere. About the new morality, I don't know much, but I love the old sincerity. Are you for real? I guess I'm kind of out of date, but right from the start, I like to speak from the heart. At any rate... Let me feel your nose. A cold nose means a warm heart. My, your nose is hot. What's worse, I've got cold feet. Cold feet? In those shoes? What kind of foot powder do you use? Dr. Scholl's. Well, that's the best. Have you tried lamb's wool liners? I'm allergic to wool. So that's your Achilles heel. <laughs> uh, too many books to manage here. Um, so we did not have anything to do with this wonderful book, uh, which you can still get, and if you don't already have it, uh, I, I think if you are at all interested in poetry, as Michael said, um, it's necessary to have this in your collection. Um, James Schuyler's Collected Poems. Um, Schuyler began, I believe, all of his readings with what is ostensibly his most famous poem um, called Salute. It's an early poem. <clears throat> Salute. Past is past, and if one remembers what one meant to do and never did, is not to have thought to do enough like that gathering of one of each I planned to gather one of each kind of clover, daisy, 
paintbrush that grew in that field the cabin stood in, and study them one afternoon before they wilted. Past is past. I salute that various field. So I, I think what... No, I think what I'll do is, is read from other flowers and then read uh, some of my own work. Um, we like to think of it, Simon and I, um, as the salute of other flowers. Um, it's a little poem called Invocation. Scatter your lines like willow leaves. A summer storm tears at the weeping withies. Sprinkle with words this sheet as the wind cross-ventilates and veils the yellow floor with dust. Pollen it. A poem, or at least a sneeze. The tops of the clouds are clear in bulk and turning edge. The bottoms are fused with sky while the Beekman Tower begins to burn in an evening fury, deeper than gold. Speak a few light words, quick and true, as the pigment, was it pink? Felix Pacillus worked into the still wet ground, barely contrasted. Who stops to count the waving willow leaves? From here... Blended strokes wavering for the storm is past. Summer is more than come. So come, say what I should say in a few bright naming words. Um, Schuyler spent much of his, not much, some of his young life um, in Italy, um, traveling and... and, uh, working briefly as W.H. Auden's typist. Um, I think it was just as a favor to Auden. He was staying at at Auden's uh, vacation home on on the Isle of Ischia. Um, So Schuyler, and it was great, Simon was on his honeymoon in in Italy this summer and sent me a, a postcard of him standing in front of Via della Vite, which is the title of this poem. I'm not happy. My spirits that lifted me so high went off like smoke after a shot. How can I fear so many diverse things? I want to think of other things. Is it all in how you think? I want to think of a washing machine in a basement and a woman ironing. I can smell the wash. I can smell the ironing. I can see the jars of jam on the shelves, the bushels for ashes, and the basement steps up which I used to tote them. I want to think of a lawnmower, of how much I hated cutting grass, to smell, again, burning leaves or an attic in the heat of summer. I want to hear the snow, to have wished to get so far from all of that, to get there and half wish I could go back, to a corner of the sloping yard where one night, between the roof and a tree that had a funny little leaves, the moon stood bright in a sky that was still light. 
Um, and, and Schuyler was renowned for writing um, poems that function in a sense as almost diary entries, um, titling them The Date. Um, this one, we only have July 6th, um, the year of which I might have to look in our, in our notes at the back of the book. I, I don't remember. Um, but July 6th. The window looks over an arbor. The grape leaves, bluish green on one side and creamy on the other, are tossing every which way like a choppy sea churning up sand. Beside the arbor are four very tall hollyhocks, three with pink flowers and one with red, like girls walking on a beach when the water is too rough for swimming. The hollyhocks sway in the wind like masts of little sailboats while the great elms and honey locusts bend as though they were underwater, with surf continually streaming through their upper branches. The sky and the river are the color of pewter, but the sky has been rubbed soft, while the river is rough as ground glass. River and sky are kept apart by the hills on the farther shore, dark and muted, with buildings glowing in them, the dense air brings the sound of a far-off train very close. Some orange daylilies are looking out from under the edge of the woods. They are not moving at all. The rain begins with a thousand pinpricks, and a big yellow butterfly flying wildly about <clears throat> over the hedges then stops. Bumblebees, like little flying bears, are floating up and down the stalks of the hollyhocks as smoothly as elevators. Dandelions. Hooray for a change. I'm letting the sky stay as it is. Tomorrow, the sun may come out. Besides, what's wrong with gray? You can almost pat it and shape it. Smoke and dulled lights hovering in it like clay. Greasy as fleece with air in it, like light with light in it, like air. And a steeple more coppery, green than a grass snake, cool to the touch. As the march breath in the hairs on my arm by an open window, languidly snakes, more or less now, drag themselves up on to warm stones among snow-faded, matted fields and green shoots. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Rob Melton mentioned uh, Schuyler's uh, affiliation with the painter Fairfield Porter. And in fact, he lived with the Porters, the Porter family, for... Uh, 12 years. The, the saying goes, he came for a weekend and stayed 12 years. Um, and he spent a great deal of that time on Great Spruce Head Island in Maine. Uh, but as a young man, he enlisted in the Navy and went to Sonar Training School in Key West. The same Sonar Training School that Frank O'Hara had attended a year uh, before. 
and this is before they knew each other um, and became two of that constellation that we know as the New York School. Um, So this poem, Great Spruce Head, Key West. Dawn smites storms in the sea, molten at dusk, palm fronds crack, heat, bougainvillea, wrenched brown as amethysts, a sunstruck boy's lipped red neck, scab in the sea, we bust to you, and fans drove a fluid welcome. Fear shook me, sentry of the vast moon, heady light and snake shadow. Who goes there, goes unknowing of wet fire, etching raw, itching creases, eyes flung a dazzle down to sink jellyfish, the aquamarine zebra fish, angelfish, hang. Barracuda by garbage barge would let blood, salt the salt like urine. One gold ear-ringed ephibo crouched, leapt, laughed, spear the sea. Frenzied, far-cried, north ice lights, daughters for bone, heat, sweat, rain, wind-lash, stressful of a cypress house. Dry moss, hair of desert death, whisperer, the condemned men laughed, sailed. Um, So I'll just read a few more Schuyler poems. Um, This one, uh, one of his uh, uh, experiments, I think. In this book, we we were able to capture and give to you uh, experiments that he may not otherwise have published, um, which are all nonetheless successful. Two Voices. Crystal flowers explode blue rain. I read violets, rain, the rain flame. Scriabin's sonata ends. Whitman said, merci, en masse, amiable partner. Take your lips with you. Hips and haws crackle, cracked stepped stone, livid lips. Say yon photo lies through what unview saw you, my jaguar. You're a brick, week one. Flesh, flash. Miss me? Locksmith. Dream punched sortilege. Gut peeler. Hideously apropos. Rosy apothegm. Roll. Acropolis home. Sainted larkspur quails. A dung bug's effective creep. Cut mist. Sink to a sob. Hemlock wound with bay. Forestalled. I stay, I go. Still, silver spoons scoop wax apple shrines. Um, And and this this next poem is is called The Smallest. Um, And Schuyler was known for writing big, long-lined poems, um, as well as very slender, um, lithe lyrics. this poem is in between those, um, and I, I think of it as the biggest poem in the book, even though it is not physically so. <clears throat> I haven't even looked up. There's Dr. Seuss right behind you. 
Um, <clears throat> the smallest. It is in front of the tree. The houses around the windows are lit by it. It turns off and goes upon knees, and wherever the bone is almost next to the skin, it has been defamed. It will become undernourished. It is not without end. It is not. It is not what you can let happen or cause to happen or has anything at all to do with happening. It happens as it exists without effect. It is the pure in pure mathematics. It is the sully in unsullied rain. It is the pain in painfully. It is also the fully. It is the light in highlight and headlight, the head in headland, the towering in towers, trees, the outstretched in shadows of mountains on plains and lakes. It is not the water in the lake, however. It is not cupped. If it exists, it is unaware of it. It could name itself, however, and does. It contains alphabets. It is infinite and therefore the smallest thing. <clears throat> and so I'll finish reading from Schuyler with um, this small little nugget of a poem, um, which we just learned recently the origin of the title. It was a bar that, uh, that Jimmy and John Ashbery and Frank O'Hara um, hung out and got drunk in. Um, those New York school poets were all famous drinkers, whether that means much to their poetry or not, I am not to say. <clears throat> uh, Duffs. The sky in here is very blue and made of wood. You are very great, I think. <laughs> Ruth is great. Have a brandy. Nobody lives forever. And it's a fucking shame. Um, so I'm just going to read. Uh, let's see what. There's no clock. Oh, there is a clock. It's totally wrong. Um, I'm going to read, hopefully, for about 10 more minutes, if that's not too much. Is that too much? Um, I'm going to read uh, just one poem. Um, from my, my forthcoming book, which will be out in January, uh, called Dayglow. And it's a poem uh, book written um, really about and based around uh, San Diego and being a writer, an artist in San Diego, um, and how difficult that is. <laughs> you all know. Um, San Diego is a city uh, that we know as... as um, a military stronghold and um, where we'd all rather go to the beach and chill out on a blanket um, instead of thinking serious thoughts. Um, so I found this, this interesting. Um, and, and the poem is called Dayglow. And it begins with an epigraph from the filmmaker Chris Marker uh, from his film Sans Soleil. Uh, now only banality still interests me. Um, I won't read the whole thing. I'll, I'll skip through. Dayglow. Where the dark of rain and resilient sun now meet, 
There glow the gears of day in gray when the mind attributes color to an idea. We offer a definite maybe for the sky's big cover-up. If we are kept warm in sort of winter, it is the warmth of the sea-spray blue sea. The freeway's rush of hybrid cars and hummingbirds should say something about nearness and divergence. But everything sloughs off, everything into the estuary, the alluvium entering the ocean, a wet brown fan. Great yellow dinosaurs of industry remove any artifice from sculpture. Mountains of earth rise from marshland, where we live background lives with basketball hoops in the driveway, a sporting chance for light to fill us. Our digital children and their rapid-fire virtual dreams, I see them bug-eyed in back seats, combat in every eye's reflection. The glare and gauzy anesthetic brightness changes us. I know. My head a cloud, refracting what gray light passes through. To not have an epiphany under partial sun or fluorescence. No umbrella to manage the rain. Not happiness in place of shimmer, but happy to have stepped on an oily puddle's rainbow. To not have these things when clouded and admire the floodplain, some water-making way. A paper boat with paraffin wax on its hull. A few surfers get wet in the water, black buoys on a silk-gray sea. There is less contrast in the world when rain. The bombs we see as droplets are harmless. The bombs we don't see are foreign and far off as we try to keep dry. Then the sun breaks through, a little wink in the ether. So we wipe our dewy eyes, watch everything steam. This is how mirage happens. This is how to landscape with the Western garden book. To not need water and know how to preserve it. Within a well, within oneself, to never be thirsty. Say, go to the beach, get some sun in your blonde. Like these things, we grow to let others tend. We are all shiny surfaces, windows in silk, streets cleaned with water, to take on the stain of morning sun. A bird's broadcast song broken by the cough of the combustion engine. I become the glare of earthly sounds, the culture of noise. I am only a participant. I adore you, whatever's okay. Some small account reflected in every face, like the history of palm trees, money, and fake boobs, debt. Do we ever put down roots, put our city where our mouths are, watch all the cars pour out of it, pull the yellow tickets from our wiper blades, tickets paid for with strawberries, those are UCSD parking tickets. Um, A wad of newsprint says illegal immigrants a variable in the horizon, not the sun's horizon, but the future, now in flux or folly, though we want it clear. I saw a soldier today. We aren't just built on soldiering, a mighty field, ACU digital camouflage on our skateboards. Put your cool logo wherever. Against the canvas of sky, the hills are fire. We are accustomed to this in summer, in our land of sun and fire. The sea are burning too. 
Not rain or wind. Dumb human animal with cigarette, likely. Dumb American. East of the sea where night glows, instead of that slit of light entering the water, coming and going water. On a map of the west, the westernmost edge, more shallow with each revision. Like youth and reading, somnambulism and art. The fire, a shallow vision, tumescent but only in flame, to just put it out. Boots, nozzle, spray, steam. We fire engines of hope, red to the mind like apple catches. No rain but lightning and dry brush. Oh, summer without apology. I have lost my heart for too much thisness. Too many ding-dongs and too many lights left on. So to what do we look? The canvas of sky? A dumb American? A silhouette? In an outpost of an old republic mind, I listen to the room and its silences. I am becoming a silent container. The burst of wind, warm and up from the desert, moves eucalypts to break and scatter their foreign parts like genealogy does. If I had nothing to do with this sprawl, I would not live in it like a particle of dust. I don't know why living is a problematic thing. The sun is always just the sun. Its moving picture, a projection, imagined like silent cinema, like everyone huddled on beach blankets watching the doomsday clock. But the big end will be a big surprise. We'll all be desert again, be dust how the transaction between people and place happens when it becomes part of what we do. Like, my affinity for here is always moving away, then returning home. That's the idea. Change something and pretend it's new. Thanks, and welcome Simon Pettit. Well, greetings one and all. Um, thank you so much for, for your ears and being here. Uh, I want to thank uh, um, uh, Professor uh, Ray Armantraub for inviting me very kindly and Michael Davidson uh, likewise. And uh, likewise the library here, uh, particularly Rob Melton's extraordinary work putting the show together of uh, ephemera and materials. Please look at it. There's all sorts of wonderful things there. Um, I'm stalling. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, so the, uh, a mildly sort of skitzy thing to do here, which is to say, I, I want to read, I want to evoke for you a little of Jimmy and a little from that, uh, from this uh, other flowers, and I also want to read a little of my own poems. My collected poems came out about, um, I don't know, nine months ago. I mean, collected so far, as Alice Notley very sweetly said, and um, uh, it's called Hearth, uh, and it's. Uh, I asked, I wanted a one-word title for this book of poems. And I asked all my friends, give me a really terrific one word. And people had great ideas. It's a great party game. And uh, the painter Mimi Gross suddenly came up with the word hearth without even blinking. And it has heart in it. It has art in it. It has ear in it. It has heat in it. Ah, la, 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 et cetera, et cetera. It's an extraordinary little word. Um, 
So I, I, to cut a really long story short, I said, yeah, okay, that's the title of that book. So I want to read from that book, um, and I better do it before the book table goes away. And I want to read from Other Flowers also, which is, uh, um, as you all know, a, an extraordinary thing. In fact, can somebody give me a cow? Thank you. Um, and then I, I, um, I did indeed... Oh, and I want to read one other thing as well. This book of the art writings of Jimmy that I, do, I worked on forever. Um, I was fortunate enough to go visit him in the Chelsea Hotel and, and have long uh, dinners and conversations with him over the years and uh, la-la-la, history and stories. But um, so I'll read... So forgive me if I kind of dance around these different uh, locations. Um, Past is past, and if one remembers what one meant to do and never did, is not to have thought to do enough? Like that gathering of one of each I planted, to gather one of each kind of clover, daisy, paintbrush that grew in the field, the, the field the cabin stood in, and study them one afternoon before they wilted. Past is past. I salute that various field. Um, indeed, every, Jimmy didn't give too many poetry readings. Uh, he once, uh, he just wouldn't give poetry readings until, until really very, very end of his life. He did read for the DeMille Foundation on tape for, for a giant amount of money, because that seemed to be a good idea. Uh, <laughs> and you didn't have to look at people. And, all um, and then towards the very end of his life, indeed, the Deer Foundation likewise seduced him with disgusting amounts of money that made it, all right, I'll do that. And he had, as a matter of fact, he had a number of wonderful dry runs to, for that reading. It was, taking, uh, it was an easy thing to do for him. He wasn't a natural reader, though when he read his poems out loud, he did about half a dozen times before he died. Uh, needless to say, every one was an extraordinary reading. And, uh, and he would always begin with that poem, Salute, as, as the sort of uh, first, first brick. Um, all right, let me, do, let, me, let me take care of business here. First of all, uh, this is uh, uh, the art writings of Jimmy, um, and one of the, uh, the collections you have here in the library is, is from, quite recently I understand, is the papers of pianist Alvin Novak, who was the lover of the painter John Button. And, uh, and John Button was a lover and friend of Jimmy Schuyler's, and so it's wonderful small world stuff. And... Uh, uh, in this book, which is, which is a selection of James Schuyler's art writings for the magazine Art News uh, in the 1950s mostly, but not all of them, uh, he reviews his friend John Button. And it's a very short paragraph, and I wanted just to read that to, to sort of set that up. Although, hold on a second, I'm going to do the famous flipping around the pages scene, so bear with me. Um, and then I want to read you a poem he wrote for John Button just to make a little uh, segue. Page 48, thank you, pagination. The passion, John Button. By the way, this was a, a, a form, like a one-off uh, journeyman paragraph to, to write for, for art news. This wasn't seen as, as any big deal, and so he's, he's doing a whole bunch of these. But he couldn't not write with truth and clarity. And so it's, uh, well, I'll shut up. The passion clarity and speed that leave John Button free to deal with sky, water and trees in their blueness and greenness give to his paintings 
the force of a first view in which a wealth of yet-to-be-discriminated detail is always imminent. The adjustment of colour values one to another is as breathtaking as the kinesthetic continuity of a Balanchine ballet, such as Concerto Barocco, in which there are no transitional passages or which all is transition. Subject matter, because it is the subject matter that causes and releases the painting, the reality of the painting does not lie in the presence or absence of subject, but in conviction. Realism, far from magical, the illusion discloses its means, for it intends to delight and reveal, not deceive and confine. A painter unconcerned with taste, whose work has full validity beyond the picky claustration of good taste, the perilous and suffocating vigour of bad taste, an analogical mind, a precision of emotion, permit the painter altogether to withdraw himself from the painting. John Button's strength is truth, his weakness, beauty, his gift to know what is emblematic of his most profoundly engaged feelings and to paint it when he sees it. Period. Uh, not bad, uh, I think. And officiated by, by, by love. <laughs> Why not? And uh, so there's a poem in this book that James and I made uh, of these um, uncollected writings that is a uh, full-blown uh, love poem to John Button. And I'm going to read that next. And I'm going to do this horrible thing which I tell people they shouldn't do flipping through the pages. It's pagination time again. Um, and, uh, ay, ay, ay. bear with me, please. Having my say-so. What a sweet, dear, good boy he is, I said aloud to the empty room. I never expected to feel like Elizabeth Barrett Browning again. Not so soon. It's, it's not so soon. Surely it's undignified for a gent to want to take another gent bouquets and such. Just as surely I couldn't care less. Surely it's an incredible invasion of someone else's privacy to sit around writing unsolicited poems to and about him. Well, as you know who would say, I'm sorry, but I just can't help it. I feel this way. Deeply. One word line. Deeply. What kind of thing does a man say to a man he's in love with? Things like, I can't tell you how adorable you looked in your new suit and tie the other night. <laughs> then he says, that suit is rather me, isn't it? And I say, yes. And the world lights up like the hot star they said it used to be, or may become, burnt by the sun. It's still glowing. That's not my sleeve, that's my heart. Not less than any other lover who ever wrote, I want to describe his looks, the way his wide eyebrows uniquely die away in a haze of fine short hairs on the east and west slopes of his forehead. The, the, the way they join in a tuft, a small explosion of longer hairs above his nose, 
The, the crinkled pink of a new small scar, still touched by black recent stitches. That the fullness of his lower lip, like the excess that shaped the pear, sulky and determined, boyish and sweet, Greek before they got refined. But, but if I'm such a lover, why can't I remember the colour of his eyes? I know their movements, how they twinkle wickedly. Love is all about clichés. It's wickedly when he's silly drunk and cute. How, how animal and slitty they get when he's tired. Their hard look at the floor when he won't be shy. I think they're the colour of the sky, which is not always blue. Then there's his jaw that has a long curve, long bow curve to it, his hair curling on his nape, not silky or wiry, lively, and in a quick transition to a longer view, the thin-skinned, very naked whiteness of his back, with muscles lapped and moving in it, his belly firm as a flank, sprouting little curves like dune grass around the late nemi of his navel. Moon, look down and see the small, dark pit of your reflection on the pale shaded plane of flesh heart dream no further do you want to go off like the rockets on the fourth of, of on the fourth at the washington monument i must get back to work <laughs> um, but first but first i'll look at the clock and imagine where he is i mean uh, somebody's in love <laughs> i think um well, now, what do I do? I guess I, I stay with Jimmy is what i got to do, but I must remember to read a few of my own poems before, before the bewitching hour. Is it really 25 past six? Ah, maybe I'll... I'll um... 25 past five. All right. I mean, uh, I, I will, uh, I, I'll indulge you a little further. Let's just... Uh, I think my, my great plan of what poems to read here is going out the window, but so be it. <laughs> this is a beautiful poem. They're all... One of the great joys of this book of uncollected poems we put together is, is they really are extraordinarily great poems every one of them also very various and different and, and so this notion of some sort of vampiric uh, scraping the barrel or whatever is just so not in the world there that it's, it's a pleasure to be able to know that you know. Um, so for example a typical Jimmy Schuyler poem this one's called Catalogue Catalogue Bloodroot and Shy Hepatica Tall Violets in Thin Grass at the edge of a wood. Trout lily, or dog-tooth violet. Speckled gullies. What other flowers are there? Wild flags, rank daisies, black-eyed Susans in Laurentian meadows, suns, dandelions, buttercups. Unsheltered wild roses. Beaches, roads, chewed pink, pollinate, whitest blackberry, wind-tossed elderberry, tiger lily, blazing tiger lily, sings so loud. Catalogue. Um, Lordy, what else was I going to read? Here's another one. August the 6th. Not James mentioned these poems with no... Uh, title other than the date August the 6th now it is the strawberry leaves that are red down among the wiry stalks of the grass that bend their seed shedding beards towards the south where the brows of the meadow drops in obliquity to the bay and seals that snort and vanish and there are islands each profile of jammed spruce or grass head on rock 
with its own shadow, individual as a name, with its own shadow, individual as a name. Um, okay, a couple more, just sort of... Uh, oh, yeah, let me read this one. So, there's too many great poems in this book, but this is one of them. It's a very early poem. This book is, is sort of chronologically organised, despite it not necessarily being so. So the early, early poems here from his, um, from his early days. And he grew up in East Aurora, upstate New York, and, and left it as soon as humanly possible. Um, but has this memory, and the reason he left it is possibly evident in this poem. Um, ah, ha, ha, and this poem is outside in the, in the um, display, no kidding, in the, the actual uh, manuscript, so, so I better read it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I better, I better stop soon as well. East Aurora, East Aurora, towns of a few thousand clutched about stores and churches like points where flesh is attached to the bone and suburbs of cities. That there isn't more rage, slaps, curses, plates of food flung across the dinner table at familiar dinners. Pointed the hose through the kitchen window at her, so she threw the pot of geraniums at him. Take down the old magazines from the attic and burn them, as though a photograph might tell you what someone was thinking when it was looked at umpteen years ago. The sky changes its, its decoration like a housewife exchanging slipcovers. Priests, priests play checkers. Nuns go out to, to the tin dairy barn to milk the cows. At the holy rollers, a big shout. Another name for Portulaca is moss rose. A water snake in the pool lifts itself like an asparagus stalk. The pool is below a small falls that empties the pond. A sunfish tumbles and flips down the falls from pond to pond. He made an iris garden in a vacant lot, one of each kind of iris, just about, like old Japan. They went driving. The sun shone on the ice on the creeks, windows of a new house, snow streaked on the ice. Homemade root beer explodes like giant salutes. Halloween vandalism on the upswing. No house whose age cannot be reckoned precisely. She takes a bath. The tub is full of her, of her like the washing. Sorry, she takes a bath. The tub is full of her like the washing machine, churning sheets on a Monday. No wonder her back aches. The dog did his business on the oriental rug again. Right after, right after they moved into the new house, she died. His sister came to keep house for him. He keeps his own room neatly as a sailor, which he used to be. He had her pet name, not her christened name, cut onto the granite headstone with a chipped border as though, as though gnawed by mice. Linseed oil in a bottle stoppered by a twist of rag and oily rags in a pipe tobacco can. In the midst, a willow is turning as yellow as the headlights of the trucks. A hitchhiker walks away, stops, and lifts his thumb. In the desk are expired leases, snapshots, the stubs of all the checks he ever filled out, a snapshot of a smooth-haired terrier named... Uh, the seasons keep on the move, like our feathered friends, 
the birds. Beautiful collection of notations. And, and uh, I'm kind of mindful, like I say, of, of uh, time and, and uh, all the rest of it. So I'm going to just... You know, I'm <laughs> Getting the the helpful looks here. Let me let me go straight. Let me. I'll finish with a little Jimmy, but let me read a few poems from Hearth, um, and I'll read a poem that I haven't published in there yet, but I'm going to read it anyway. If if a golden eagle soars seemingly static between moon and horizon and then in circles and then bisects the moon and it is twilight that is to say almost perfect light end of July endlessness of the grasslands and we are mute witnesses and we are respectful scarcely a breeze up there or or down here and the raptor still hovers what then does that mean if if a golden eagle soars seemingly static between moon and horizon and then encircles and then bisects the moon and it is twilight that is to say almost perfect light end of July endlessness of the prairies and we are mute witnesses and we are respectful scarcely a breeze up there or down here and the raptor still hovers. What then does that mean? I like writing poems that have rhetorical questions you don't have to answer. <laughs> I have no idea what it means. Okay. Um, ah, here's another poem that's not in this little book, but never mind. It's called um, Lento, L-A-N-T-O. Actually, that was a a, a note to myself. Read this thing slowly. (laughs) This little teaspoon will hardly do to row with if we are to row. Row, row, row your boat ashore. My daddy was an oarsman too. One silver teaspoon will scarcely suffice to speed this skiff, to paddle this coracle away. Baby, (laughs) it's going to take more than that, you know. (laughs) This little teaspoon will hardly do to row with if 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 we are to row. Row, 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 row your boat ashore. My, my daddy was an oarsman too. One, one silver teaspoon will scarcely suffice to speed this skiff, to paddle this coracle away. Baby, it's going to take more than that, you know. Much more. All right, well, 
Finally, well, actually, not finally. I'll finish with Jimmy in, in great honor and uh, joy. But I'll read just a couple more poems from this book of, of Hearth, of, of, um, of poems. The bookstore's shut, never mind. <laughs> Working against time. Um, Bruce Lee, he runs so quick, camera too slow for him. He blur the dailies. They have to ask him, run slow, please, so the camera can catch him. Or be just like normal. Just as it always was with you, little lightning rod. Slow down, why don't you? Slow down. Um, I have a bunch of these admonitions, of which that was one. This is another one. It's the great waggling finger. It's the great hypocritical thing. I don't necessarily able to fulfill my my um, good intents. It has another poem, type, crazy title, Gara Rufa, G-A-R-R-A-R-U-F-A, which is a tiny little fish that lives in the middle of Anatolia. <laughs> I mean, who cares? <laughs> I care. <coughs> Gara Rufa, remember what the fish say. Don't blow it. Don't drown. Don't Put piping hot water in the cold water spin cycle. Separate the paper from the plastic, the dead skin from the old wounds. Be mindful. Don't be a bottom feeder or swim away from it all. Remember what the fish say. Don't, don't blow it. Don't drown. Don't put piping hot water in the cold water spin cycle. Separate the paper from the plastic, the dead skin from the old wounds. Be mindful. Don't be a bottom feeder or, or swim away from it all. Swim away from it all. I'm this dumb schmuck out buying a bag of salted peanuts. Whoa there, says my lady. She's all dressed in gold scarves and spinning and dancing like she's some kind of dervish. And I better watch my step. But I'm too wisely drunk to pay it any mind. And lately, I just get all wound up. Mad, mad lady on the steps asks if my father's on the street. I, I tell her no, he's in the air. <laughs> she, she doesn't understand and persists, casually pursing her lips. The cruelty she manifests, an absent-mindedness, has its origin in others. So we walk away from her beating of despairing wings. Mad lady on the steps asks if my father's on the street. I tell her, no, he's in the air. She doesn't understand and persists, casually pursing her lips. The cruelty she manifests and absent-mindedness has its origin in others. So we walk away from her beating of despairing wings. Oh, oh look. Oh, look. It is the hour when smoking horizon under a mist screen conceals its outline when forestry turns green to yellow then brown 
when the sun, blushing visibly, makes one last bow before departing, and even though we don't think of it, so awed are we by its immensity and the parallel insignificance of our lives, we do watch it go down. Oh, oh, oh look. Oh, look, it, it's the hour when the smoking horizon under a mist screen. Um, I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the, of the time here, so I'm going to do a portcullis ending <laughs> this, this evening. Um, but I'll finish with maybe two little poems of my own and, and one more poem of Jimmy's and, uh, and bid you love and affection. I'm actually I'm giving a poetry reading, at the, if anybody's interested, at the D.G. Wills bookstore tomorrow night. In in uh, la la oh yeah, <laughs> so uh, uh, if anybody is is, is around and uh, want to make that one, please please come, uh, and I'll read more poems. But I'll read these poems, these two poems. This is a poem um, I wrote at the time of the the uh, Iraq War, which is still going on. There is a cruel messianic dim, tribal intransigence that gains you nothing. There's a bull-headed, childish baby tantrum that can unleash untold consequences. I am appalled by the darkening of the sky. I watch my love. It is always my love that I watch. There is, there is a cruel, messianic, dim, tribal intransigence that gains you nothing. There's a bull-headed, childish baby tantrum that can unleash untold consequences. I am appalled by the, the darkening of the sky. I watch my love. It is always my love that I watch. Um, I'll finish the, the me bit before I finish the Jimmy bit with a poem called, called Echo. Um, and I'm going to do the, the... No, don't let me do the flipping through the pages thing again, which I might. Um, page 103. This is a, another of these admonitions. It's a wonderful form, uh, uh, not stolen from Jack Spicer. It goes back many years. Echo. Drink no more. The waggling finger. Drink no more from that pool wherein your fat face stares back. What is this pompous self-regard? It is nothing. Though it has been continuing low these many years and will continue without you as others will stare at the glasses on the table, at the emptiness of your poor pot. Sit back. Breathe deep and 
Consider the fountain. Drink no more from that pool wherein your fat face stares back. What is this pompous self-regard? It is nothing, though it has been continuing low these many years and will continue without you as others will stare at the glasses on the table at the emptiness of your poor pot. Sit back, breathe deep, and consider the fountain. Um, so, Jimmy, a fountain himself, um, let me conclude with a, with a poem, and, and, and uh, once again, a great thanks for your ears and, and, uh, and appreciations. Um, and uh, like I say, do check out this wonderful uh, exhibit that, uh, that Rob Melton's put out in the front there. It's, it's, um, it's a treat. Um, and um, where is it there? Maybe I'll just, I'll bibliomance if I don't find the poem I'm looking for. Um, I'm bibliomancing. This is a poem called uh, Hector, (laughs) which I'm going to say farewell to you with. And... uh, uh, I, have, I have sort of slight problems about the sort of codification of Jimmy and, and New York schools and, and the sort of an academiz- academization of that. I really shouldn't say that here, should I? But, it's, uh, so, but this is a poem of, uh, uh, in, in uh, one of the several poems in this book that evokes and, and uh, summons up Frank O'Hara, his, his, his friend. Um, it's called Hector. Hector and, and, and uh, uh, Homer's Hector. There you were, Hector, there you were selling tickets at the museum covered with blood and gold dust. I exaggerate. A few glitterings, metal, and whinier than wine clots that cut eye. Yes, you are everything. Nose and arrogance. A a style of clothes that seemed to say something, but didn't. The way I like it. (laughs) Oh, Achilles, I already invented cracks in your armoured heel while while we were at the giggles and you love it too, stage. There there you were, selling tickets at the museum, covered with blood and gold dust. I exaggerate. A few glitterings, metal and whinier than wine clots that cut eye. Yes, you were everything. Nose and arrogance, a style of clothes that seemed to say something, but didn't, the way I like it. Oh, Achilles, I already invented cracks in your armoured heel while while we were at the giggles and you love it too stage. Thank you.